Yeah, uh, as Rich said, uh, 20 of us went paintballing and Richard was dumb enough to mention it was his birthday to the uh, wardens guys and uh, he'd been getting away with it but at that point they gave him a high-vis jacket. (laughs) And uh, there there was one particular game where they just allowed... 19 of us to pretty much standing in line and, and Richard had to just run the gauntlet. Not once, but twice. And on the way back, he, he took so many hits he fell to his knees and kind of rolled in pain. Uh, and we carried on shooting him. And uh, it, it's great fun. I tell you, I, I, it's, uh, I recommend shooting Rich whenever you can. Um, it's great fun. Anyway, so we're continuing in a, in a series called uh, Streams in the Desert. We've had a couple of weeks of it. Chris has done some, uh, some great teaching on it. And before I kind of just get into what I'm going to talk about uh, today, because actually this is kind of um, part two of what Chris was saying last week. He, it, it, there was kind of so much good stuff in there. He didn't want to rush it. So uh, he, he gave you the first serving last week, and I'm just kind of finishing up this week. But just to give you a little bit of, of background where we've been going for, for the last little while. Chris began by talking about a, a moment uh, in, in the history of uh, Israel when God was uh, uh, leading them and God led them to uh, uh, first some water where they could be refreshed and, and the water was bitter. And after God had rescued them and, and God was caring for them uh, and, and given this water, uh, the Israelites began to just, just moan. The water's bitter, wow, you know, the water didn't used to be like this where we were, why have you brought us out? And they moaning and fussing. And uh, God was kind enough to sweeten the water. There's this moment, uh, it's in, and if you want to check it out, uh, it's in, uh, is it Genesis 15 or Exodus 15, sorry. And uh, it's just a great moment. G- G- uh, God just kind of sweetens the water and, and they drink it. It doesn't take the bitterness out, it just makes it bearable. And uh, Chris said this great thing, and I just love this statement, he said, uh, that part of uh, the message of that is that whatever God puts in front of you, drink it. Whatever God puts in front of you, even though it might taste bitter, drink it. And Chris did some wonderful background on it and said that uh, actually, when you look at it, the reason that water was probably bitter was because it had nutrients in it that they needed as a people. They'd been slaves for, for a long time and the, they were probably malnourished and, and really needed some nutrients and vitamins and stuff. And in that water, even though it tasted bitter, there was goodness in there. So I just love that first message about uh, God looking to refresh us and lead us to good places. But sometimes we're, we're going to go, hold on, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't taste right. But we need sometimes just to, to trust in God and just, just, just to go with it. And whatever he puts before us, we just, we just drink it. I love that. And then he, he, he went on the following week to talk about the, the same group of people. And God leads them to another place of refreshment. Uh, and it was a place called Elim. Elim. And at Elim, there were 12 springs, 12 springs of water and uh, 70 palm trees. And Chris said that you can, you can honestly just read that. And, and if you don't know a bit of the background and you, you don't know some things, you can easily miss it and just think, okay, we're just kind of on a, on a little field trip here and we're being told exactly where they went. It's like a holiday kind of brochure thing. We went here, we went to Elim, come. And, uh, but what actually is going on there is something quite significant. Anytime in the Bible, when you see numbers mentioned... Those numbers are significant. To us, in our culture, numbers are just numbers most of the time. But actually, in the Old Testament, numbers were very significant. And certain numbers were to do with certain things. And they spoke little sermons just by themselves, just by mentioning certain numbers. So in this moment where the people are gathered and there are 12 springs, 
That number 12, it, it speaks uh, of God's people. It speaks of God's people. If you know anything of the Old Testament, you know there were, there were 12 tribes. If you know anything of the New Testament, you know Jesus, sort of on purpose, chose to have 12 disciples. And time and time again, as you read the Bible, this number 12 comes up. And it's always to do uh, with God's chosen people. The people that God chooses to, to dwell with and be with. And then, so that's the 12 springs, and then there's his 70 palms. And Chris told us that actually that, that number 70 is really significant. And what it talks about is, is basically all the other nations of the world. So Israel is, is always like the 12. But then 70 speaks of, of, of all the others. And we learned last week that actually that God, through his people, through those 12, those, those springs... Actually, those springs will leak out, and it's almost like where those springs were, there were palm trees all around, and what happened is the water had somehow refreshed and and given life, and these palm trees, these 70 palm trees were were springing to life. So I guess if I can just sum up the last couple of weeks, is that uh, Israel, God's people, were always meant to be a blessing to other nations. So all the way through the Old Testament... God is always looking, not just to to be nice to Israel and nice to the people that follow him, but he's looking through those people to affect others and to to change uh, the places where that nation went and the people they had dealings with. God is always looking, not just to, to feed just a few chosen people, but through those people to somehow begin to feed everyone. And then Chris finished last week just by looking at a, a, a scripture in the New Testament, a moment in the life of Jesus where he picked up this thing of, of springs and, and of water and of life. And I'm just going to read it to you just so this is kind of where we're going to begin. And it's in John 7, if you ever want to look it up. It says this, On the last day, at the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, If you are thirsty, come to me. If you believe in me, come and drink. For the scriptures declare that, ri- uh, that rivers of living water will flow out from within. When he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered his glory. So there's this moment in his festival where at the end of it, Jesus stands up and he makes this declaration. He shouts. And he talks of like, if you want, uh, if you believe in me, if you want to follow me, you want to know me, come to me. And when you come to me, as you begin to know me, actually something will happen to you. Where it's almost like you will become a spring. That actually something in you will come out and will begin to give life. Not just to you and refreshment, not just to you, but actually to the people around you. And guess what I want you to, first point this morning, and what we're going to look at now after this is all kind of held in this. That you have the capacity to bring life and refreshment to the places you go. That this morning, I don't care, uh, well I do care, but how you're doing, whether you're doing well and great, whether your, your life's going according to plan or whether it's just off the rails crazy. This morning... If you know Jesus, if you will come to Jesus, you have the potential, the capacity to bring life and refreshment and change your world, the places around you, your workplace, your family, your relationships, 
You have that capacity. So let's uh, open this up a little bit because Jesus says, okay, you come to me, you get this, this living water and it comes out from within you. But how does that really look? If I'm saying to you this morning, you have this uh, capacity to go out and change the world and, and change people. How, let's break that down and let's see how that really looks. And what we're going to do this morning, we're going we're gonna to look uh, a, a section uh, from Jesus in, in Matthew 5. So if you've got your Bibles, you feel free to turn to it. If not, it'll be on the screen. But we're just going to, it's a moment where it's actually part of the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? It's a famous uh, moment in life of Jesus. And it's just a, a short section. And this is actually quite a, a famous section. Part of it's just a, arrived in our kind of everyday jargon. It's a saying that, that, that people will say some of this stuff. But let's just read it and then we'll kind of unpack it a little bit. This is Jesus talking. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavour? Can you make it useful again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a mountain glowing in the night for all to see. Don't hide your light under a basket. Instead put it on a stand and let it shine for all. In the same way let your good deeds shine out for all to see. So that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Let me, just, let me just pray before we carry on. Lord, you say that we are salt and light. And Lord, you say that we can um, change the world around us. But Father, I, I just ask now, Lord, just as we, we look at your word and uh, we ask questions of it, Lord. Would you reveal yourself to us, Lord? Would you encourage us, Lord? And would you empower us this morning, Lord? To see afresh what we can be in you and what you require of us, Lord God. Amen. Amen. So we're going to look at a couple of things Jesus said there. Now Jesus, he's talking to a multitude of crowds at this moment. And uh, I don't know how you picture Jesus. When you, I always picture him kind of sitting on a rock. And there's a crowd. Just me. And, uh, but there's just loads of people. And they're all pressing in and stuff. And I imagine Jesus is, is kind of shouting a little bit maybe because, you know, he's out in the open. It's not, the acoustics aren't that great. And there's all different types of people. He isn't just talking to the religious elite here. He isn't just talking to his disciples, although both those groups are there. He's talking to loads of different people. And a lot of people who had kind of had time during the day to sit around and hear Jesus talk. So these aren't the most productive people. Do you understand? These are the people now watching Jeremy Carl at home. Okay? It's just like, these aren't like the most amazing, dynamic, life-changing people in the world. But Jesus turns to them and he begins to uh, uh, talk about them in such an amazing way. He begins to kind of cast his vision of, of what a person can be like when they follow Jesus. And he talks about salt. You are the salt of the earth. He talks about light. That you're like, like a city on a hill or on a mountain, in my version it says. So we're going to just look at salt and light for a while and, and see what would actually be communicated and what Jesus said in that time. How would they understand it? So the first thing first, let's look at salt. To my mind, salt does uh, two things. Salt preserves and salt flavours. Okay, salt preserves and salt flavours. Now, back in the days of Jesus, there was no hot point. There was no kind of curries or comet or anything. So there was no refrigeration. Okay, so back in the days of Jesus, 
Uh, salt uh, had this, uh, its main use, I guess, was for, for, for rubbing on meat to keep it from going off. Okay, you couldn't just chuck it in the fridge, you couldn't chuck it in the freezer and microwave it after, it's nothing. If you had some meat, the only way to keep it going in, in the heat was to, to rub some salt on it. And rub it in and get it covered. And that would kind of fight off the decay for a little while. So when Jesus talks about the fact that uh, uh, we're, we're salt, part of that is that you and I can be people who actually prevent decay. That we can actually be a preservative in this world. And oftentimes you, you'll see this expressed by the, by the uh, kind of official church if you want. Uh, when they make statements about things, you'll often see this. It, it's not always covered a lot, but you know, there's a certain thing happening in the nation and uh, church leaders from the Church of England or, or, or the Pope or someone will, will make statements about it. And part of what they're trying to do there is be salt. To stand up and say, we should be careful not to lose the family. We should be careful not to forget the poor. What's happening in that moment is, is they're trying to be preservative. And that's what you're supposed to be like in your life when you, when you come into a situation and something's going down and you, you know it's wrong and you know there's a, there's a way it should be. And if, if it just keeps, if, if the stuff keeps happening, it's happening, you're going to lose something that's great. And in that moment, part of being a follower of Jesus is, is standing up and trying to stop that thing going rotten and going, why? Careful, we're going we're to lose something here. You're going to lose something. And part of having that living water in you that would flow out and refresh people means in those moments, you don't just let things die that are good. You don't just um and er and agree with the, the culture around you, but actually you, you have to go, no. And you try and preserve it. You try and stop that stuff happening. And the second thing, salt flavor, it adds flavor. I remember when I was little, I used to go out on a Saturday, um, I'd get my pocket money, and I, my, my general thing uh, was to go out and buy a toy every week, okay, that's what I did, and uh, I got up to like, I used to get £10 a week, it's pretty sweet, huh? I was like eight, it's pretty good, huh? I was like a millionaire baby, little child, and uh, I remember I went out, and I remember one week I went out with my mum down the town, which I didn't really like, okay, I must admit, I don't really recommend it, even now, but like... Uh, but one thing that was good was when I went out with my mum, she would always take me to have something to eat afterwards. Okay, so I would put up with her. I'd maybe kind of walk a bit ahead and say, "Mum, wait behind," um, and I'd walk. I'd get my toy, you know, I'd do what I needed to do, get some sweets, and then we'd, we'd always go and get some food. And I remember one time we went to a chip shop and we went in. We sat down. I was all excited because I didn't really, we didn't really do that much in my family, you know. Woo, chip shop, and uh, we probably couldn't afford it because I was getting ten pound a week pocket money. Um, <laughs> But I remember sitting down and I ordered like a, uh, I can't remember what it was, like sausage and batter and chips and beans or something like that, you know, some sort of kiddie thing. And it's really delicious. And I put my vinegar on, I put like ketchup everywhere. And then I thought, I need some salt. So I grabbed the salt and started shaking it on. And I was like, oh, this is good. And I took a couple of mouthfuls and I went, this tastes wrong. And my mum went, what do you mean? It just tastes wrong. And she looked at the table and what I'd done was I'd picked up the sugar dispenser and I just shook it I've never been, really, I've never been out where they had a sugar thing sugar was in a pot at home I didn't know it existed in other forms so I'd put it all over my chips what should have happened in that moment is there should have been salt 
on my chips. There's nothing better than vinegar and salt on chips. Mm. <laughs> but in that moment, I went wrong. In that moment, I was flavoured the wrong way. And I wonder sometimes, we, we talk at church about being Christians and about living for Jesus and we talk about speaking for him and, and living good lives around the, the people around us. And maybe that goes really well for us on a Sunday and we do really well and we sing songs and we God bless and how you doing and we pray for people and maybe even we meet during the week at home groups and other times and we're great there. But at other moments I wonder when we get shaken by our lives and the things that happen, what actual flavour comes out of us? What flavour comes out of us? Because Jesus wants us to add flavour. Do you realise that when you, when you leave a room, you're supposed to leave it better than when you came in to follow Jesus? That actually you're supposed to add something. You're supposed to add something. Jesus always did. Whenever Jesus went to a place, he wasn't always well accepted, but he always made a difference. <laughs> they either wanted to worship him or stone him to death. Okay? <laughs> so he always had an effect. He always had an effect. And we are supposed to have an effect. There's not supposed to be moments where we just kind of drift through for months on end and, and there's, we have no effect and there, there's nothing about us that stands out. I'm not saying we need to be superheroes every day, but uh, over, over some time, if we're never adding anything and, and no one's ever going, oh, something's good about you then we're in trouble. You know, salt can't actually lose its saltiness. That salt cannot lose its saltiness. But what can happen is salt can be so mixed with other things that it gets polluted. It gets, it gets just corrupted. And I wonder sometimes for us if, if we get like that. And I know it's hard in a situation you, you, you maybe want to say something and and you hold back the first time, you hold back the second time, and maybe you want to say something, and you try, but you go halfway and you bottle it a little bit, and it gets mixed with some other stuff, and before you know it, you know you don't feel that you have the right to to, to say stuff, and you feel awkward to to say to people, you know, I'm a Christian, we can pray for you, you know, I, I, I want to help you out, and it gets more and more awkward. But we, you and I, we're supposed to be salt that flavours something. We're supposed to preserve the good things. And then we're supposed to also add and make things better. Not just try and hang on to what we've already got. But actually take something and make it just taste good. Just be great. The, what, the Christians I look up to most. The followers I look up to, to most. Are just people who just they light up a room. They're in it. And just people just, just, add, they just feel valued. He's not here today so I'll, I'll big him up. But Dennis... Any of you know Dennis, okay? He comes into a room and he's like this encouragement, joy, whirlwind. And you're all depressed and he's like... And you leave and he's like, you're like, oh, I'm good. I can do anything. And we're supposed to be like that. We're supposed to add value to the situations we, we enter into. And one of the most important things about salt is that salt cannot do its work until it makes contact with something salt cannot do its work until it makes contact with something it doesn't matter how much salt you've got in the cupboard until you put it on your chips they won't taste good it doesn't matter and for us we need to be on the guard and careful that our lives don't just turn into 
great moments with other Christians. Great moments at church, great moments at conferences, great moments for ourselves, reading and and praying. But actually the greatest moments for us are supposed to be as we get mixed in with the people around us. That as the chosen people of God, we begin uh, begin to affect everything else around us. And that only happens as as you get mixed up and you you get into situations. And sometimes the church has tried to be holy and do the will of God by separating themselves from other things. When actually Jesus says, no, you throw yourself, you cover all those other things in what you've got. And that's living for God. You get mixed up and you allow the flavor that's in you, the stuff that's in you, to get rubbed off on other people. It's the will of God. There's no private faith. We often talk about this from the front because it's something we hear quite a lot. We, we talk to people and they talk very much about um, what they believe and this is how I do it. And you know, I know what I've sorted out with God and I don't need to necessarily do this or do that or help out at this or tell anyone. And it's a horrible thing because as you read the Bible, as you look at Jesus and you listen to his commands and then you look at what the early church did afterwards, it, you have to come to the conclusion that you cannot have a private faith. You cannot privately follow Jesus. It has to, to come out eventually. You're all welcome and you should all have a personal faith in Jesus. So there should be a moment you can remember when you somehow just you, you, you saw something of Jesus. You sensed something of God and, and you had a, a connection and you gave yourself to him. That should, you should all have that, that personal moment. But you shouldn't have a private faith where nobody knows. But you've got it and it's tucked away for when you need it, when you die. That's not what Jesus plans for you or the people around you. It's that actually our, our faith, the evidence that we know God, should come out by the effects we have the people around us. I love, uh, just to, I'm, Dennis is getting the big up today. He, he says this wonderful thing. Uh, he always says that he's not on staff, but he is, because he says that every follower of Jesus is a full-time worker for Jesus. Every Christian is a full-time worker for Jesus, but they're just in disguise. And he always says that he's a teacher, like he's a follower of Jesus, but he's in disguise as a teacher. And there's some of you out there, you're, 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 you're a full-time worker for Jesus, but you're disguised as a, a carpenter or a plumber. Or you're disguised as a, as a banker or an accountant. But all of you, there's something in you that's supposed to flavor the world around you. So that's that. Let's look at light. A couple of things about light. Light is a guide. Light is a guide. And light doesn't work when hidden. Light doesn't work when hidden. Now I think we all uh, find it, when we read these words, it's kind of encouraging and we understand a little bit about Jesus. But in, in his day, the followers of Jesus would have heard it differently to what we hear it. Because back in the days of Jesus, there was no uh, national grid, no streetlights, no nothing. There was just daytime when you could do stuff and nighttime when it was just difficult to do anything. So just to help you get that, I'm just going to ask the guys just to, to drop the lights and drop the screen off. Now, I wanted it to be pitch black, but unfortunately, the sun is out. So we're all going to come back like, no, no, no. Um, you've got to think of, 
when Jesus talks about light and you're a light on a hill, they wouldn't think of uh, lights like we've got. We've got so many lights now, UV lights and uh, spotlights and LED lights and just all different kind of lights. But in the day of Jesus, you had the sun during the day and then you had fire at night. So when Jesus talks about being a, a light on a hill, they would understand something of what he was talking about. And because they'd know that actually, as you were traveling about in the time of Jesus, if you got to a point where it was, oh. Okay, keep that over there. We live and learn. He knew that when he spoke about being a light on a hill, there would be a, there would be a picture for them. When they were traveling and maybe something had happened and maybe they got lost or maybe they just left late because... Um, Someone's wife couldn't find her shoes. <clears throat> okay. And uh, you don't realise I'm going to pay for that. Um, and they would realise that they were travelling and it would just be darkness. Just darkness. But then if they approached a town or a place where people were, they suddenly would see a, a light. And no matter how dark it was, that light would stand out. And actually, it wouldn't even have to be a, a huge light. Because it, it, in pitch darkness, even the smallest light draws you. And you're, you're beckoned by it and, and, and you head towards it. So Jesus says that you and I are supposed to be like a light on a hill. Or on a mountain. That our relationship with God is supposed to stick out. And in darkness, it's supposed to look like a place where people should head. You can throw the lights back up if you want. Now, light works best in darkness. Okay? Light works best in darkness. In fact, you don't need light until there's darkness. So when Jesus says that you are like a, a light on a hill, and he talks, he gives this, this picture of light and darkness, it's, he's saying something about it. He's saying that actually we're supposed to shine out, and, and there's, there's something that's going on in, in the darkness of the world where we're supposed to stick out. You know the people around us, they might not look like it, but in a sense, there, there is a darkness. There's a darkness around. Do you know it takes, um, it takes 45 minutes for your eyes to adjust to the dark? Uh, I learned this watching Ray Mears or something the other day. That actually, if you ever get lost in a desert, right, just in case, you know, you guys, you get lost in a desert or the outback somewhere, the best thing you can do is just stay completely still for 45 minutes until your eyes completely adjust and only then will you safely be able to kind of, you know, walk around without falling over and, and falling down in, I don't know, quicksand or whatever. I don't know. And I think that in this world that, that there is this darkness, there is this brokenness, but it's been there for so long that we've got used to it. And that people all around us, and even us to some degree, our, our eyes have adjusted. And we see just, just, just well enough to get around that people see just well enough to know what 
things they enjoy in life. They know that maybe family's good and, and money's good. And they know just enough to see that stuff. But actually, there's so much more. There's so much more. And if someone could just turn the light on, they would see that they've been groping around and there's so much more. And you and I, we're supposed to be light. We're supposed to be a light that doesn't get hidden. And actually, when Jesus here, he says, um, you don't hide your light under a basket. Instead, you put it on a stand and let it shine for all to see. We're not supposed to just keep what God does for us and does in us to ourselves. We're not just supposed to bring it to church. We're not just supposed to take it to our home group. We're not just supposed to enjoy it for ourselves and go for walks and write in our journals and all that stuff. Great as it is. But actually where light is needed most is in darkness. That where you are needed most. And I I long for you all to get involved here at church in different ministries and different things. I long for that. But where you are needed most is in your workplace. Is in your family. Is in the supermarket. Where your light is supposed to shine is not just here when you're with people who agree with you. But when someone cuts you up in traffic and gets out of the car and wants to kill you. At that moment, light should shine. Okay. That's God's plan for you. You are light and you're not supposed to be hidden. So Jesus finishes off saying this. He says, uh, don't hide your light under a basket. Instead, put it on a stand and let it shine for all. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. So that everyone will praise your heavenly father. So that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Salt and light, or the salt and light in you, is meant to point to God. The salt and the light in you is meant to point to God. There are lots of great people in the world, and I I often get confused because, I don't know about you, it seems that people who aren't connected to Jesus seem to be a lot better than some people who are. And some people do amazing, massive, world-changing stuff. But yet they don't seem to have any connection to Jesus. And that bothers me. It bothers me. And I think that the difference in us, the difference that's supposed to be in us, is that we're not just supposed to do some act of kindness. We're not just supposed to do something just because we're trying to be nice. But actually what we do is supposed to point people to the Father. And I look at some people in the world and they do amazing things. And they, they give money and they give time and they do these events. But then, I don't know if you notice, but the events fade and those moments go. And, it, and they seem to be good for that moment and they bring some relief, but then they just fade away. But you and I, our light, our salt is supposed to be different. The stuff we do is supposed to direct people to the Father. And if people, get, if people get driven to God by what we do, somehow they see something of God, that can last. That can change them. And then that can change their whole family. And that can change a whole workplace. That can change just so much stuff. You and I, we're not just supposed to do good things because we're Christians and we should. We're supposed to do good things so that people will be drawn to the Father. So people will look at us and go, how are you surviving in that, in, in that moment where they just think you should be crumbling? 
you lose your job, you, you lose a, someone in your family, something happens to you that's just catastrophe. People should look at you and be bewildered that you're still standing up under it. That somehow, even though you're feeling pain, that somehow you stand up and you still are good and you still love people. When people hurt you and betray you and, 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 and do all kinds of stuff to you and you love them. People are supposed to look at you and go, how are you doing that? And at that point you can say, I'm doing it because I know someone who is wonderful. He's been good to me. And because he loves me, I can stand up under this thing. This thing about salt and light, we can get it wrong if we're not careful. And we often have. And you have to be wise with this stuff. You don't put salt in an open wound. Okay? You don't put salt in an open wound. So you have to be careful when you're in your relationships with someone. There's a moment where something's happening. You don't just suddenly steam in with your Christian boots on and throw a verse at them, as well-meaning as you might be. Because you know, you've got to be careful with salt. When you see a situation happening and, and you don't suddenly just go and shine a light in someone's eyes because you'll blind them. You have to be wise with it. You have to have wisdom. You are God's rescue plan in this room this morning. And Christians everywhere else, followers of Jesus, wherever they're gathering, they are God's rescue plan. And I don't know how you feel about that. Sometimes I feel okay about it. Most of the times I feel like you've got a backup, right? <laughs> There's like someone else, right? And Jesus is like, no, Rick, just you. We're in trouble, Lord. <laughs> you are God's rescue plan. If you're a follower of Jesus, you'll know that you did not choose him first. He chose you. You did not love him first. He loved you. And now, as followers of Jesus, you are the salt of the earth. You're there to preserve the good things. You're there to add flavor. Now, as followers of Jesus, you are a light on a hill. You are supposed to be something that that sticks out. You're supposed to be a beacon in the darkness and the trouble around you. And when you do that, people will be drawn to the Father. And the places around you will become refreshed. And it won't be just you feeling good and feeling forgiven and feeling great, but the people around you will begin to pick that up. This is why people loved Jesus. This is why thousands flocked to hear Jesus. This is why sometimes Jesus would not go into a town, but whole towns would come out to Jesus. Because he was salt and he was life and he was this spring And people came into contact with him and they knew they were broken and they knew they had problems. But somehow they just were just caught up in who Jesus was. And you guys now, Jesus says, back in John. If you are thirsty, come to me. If you believe in me, come and drink. For the scriptures declare that rivers of living water will flow out from within you. Can I have the band back up? Would you guys mind just standing up for me? I'm just going to pray. (laughs) 
Father, uh, I thank you, Lord, that uh, you've chosen to come after us, Lord. That, Lord, you've done everything uh, for us, Lord, that allows us to be back in your presence, Lord. You've dealt with everything, every barrier, Lord. And, Lord, it, it, is, it feels overwhelming, Lord, that we now join you in your rescue, Lord. And it can be a scary thing, Lord, to, to be that salt and that light and bear that responsibility, Lord. And Jesus, I pray that you'd help us, Lord. Help us to know and, and have wisdom how to, to speak into situations, how to live well, Lord, that people just are drawn to you. Lord, would you give us just that spring, Lord, that flows out from within and Jesus you said in that verse Lord that it was when your spirit would come we know your spirit has come now so Holy Spirit would you do a work in us Lord would you encourage us Lord would you give us uh, boldness Lord to take risks and speak for you and be uh, care in your name Lord for people we ask all these things in your name Lord Jesus Amen